Should we maybe talk about liners? Anabuts is like to refer to the fact that it's not just a liner, like a sock liner. It's very easy to confuse it when people say liners. And they've got things like intuition that with a Dina Fit liner and so on that doesn't last at all. It's, it has to be really durable and last at least a couple of pairs of shells mm-hmm. with reasonable care and just get better as you use it, not worse. Hmm. Okay, we're going to pause and like now we'll get into like, let's let's go ahead and get into this. Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. For this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the least understood but arguably most important piece of ski equipment, ski boot liners. While ski boots, that is ski boot shells, get tons of attention, liners get almost none, and many, many skiers who are having issues with their boots are actually having issues that could be solved with the right liner. So this past week I was on the road in Aspen, Colorado to attend the World Cup Finals of Ski Racing, which were absolutely amazing by the way, and that presented the perfect opportunity to visit the home and the workshop of Sven Coomer, the founder of ZipFit Ski Boot Liners or inner boots, as Sven prefers to call them. When it comes to skiing, Sven has seen it all, and he has personally played a significant role in a lot of it. Sven began designing ski boots for Nordica in 1969, and he worked on one of the last leather ski boots, the Nordica Sapporo, which, by the way, I saw in his workshop, and it is gorgeous. We'll include photos in the show notes to this episode. After the Sapporo, Sven then designed Nordica's first plastic boot, the Olympic. Sven was born in Sydney, Australia, and he then competed for Australia in the modern pentathlon at the 1956 Melbourne Olympics. The truth is here, there's so much to Sven's history that I'm just going to at this point refer you to his bio at zipfit.com, where it will then become clearer to you how significant of a role Sven has played in the history of ski boots and ski boot liners. Today, there are many skiers who wouldn't think of skiing in anything other than one of Sven's zip fits, so we're going to try to get a clearer sense of why that is the case, what makes zip fits different, why boot liners don't receive the attention they deserve, and why Sven believes that liners are the single most important piece of ski equipment. As you are about to see, Sven has quite a few strong opinions, and you are going to hear a number of them. But the man has about 50 years of pioneering work in the ski industry, so we are more than happy to provide a platform for those opinions here. So let's go ahead and get to our conversation with Sven Coomer. Well, I am here today uh, at the home of Sven Coomer. We have now already had uh, multiple hours of uh, conversation uh, going back to the other day where um, I received a, I think, six-hour 
uh, history lesson uh, in in uh, <coughs> the history of skiing and ski boot design and and liners and uh, it was a pretty remarkable conversation and I probably should have just recorded that entire thing so I appreciated the time the other day um, but we're here to talk about um, what I maintain is probably the least understood piece of skiing equipment uh, which is the liner um, and so um, there's no one better I think uh, to have this conversation with than Sven um, and uh, so let's just get into this um, there's so much history that we could talk about with you and I'm gonna I'll have said some things in the introduction setting that up and it, it will make its way into this conversation I'm sure as we talk but um, let's just start with this notion that that liners are probably the least understood piece of ski equipment. Um, you don't see them, right? They're hidden in your uh, whatever shell you're in. Why do you believe that the liner is the most important piece of equipment? Well, it could be compared to a ski. You know, the most important part of the ski is what's inside it. And um, again, you can't see it, but the, the, the cosmetics and everything else is the eye candy that distracts everybody. Um, they've been through development of both skis and boots through the, the last almost 50 years now. And uh, right from the beginning of plastic boots and the end of the leather, which was a transition of about uh, six or seven years, and uh, I got involved with Nordica uh, right at the factory level, first by correspondence, sending drawings to my, with my boss to the factory. And then uh, finally they said, well, this is silly, you know, would you like to come to Italy and work in the factory? And I said, well, yeah, that's okay with my boss. And they'd already spoken about it. And, they were desperate because going into plastic, especially thermal injection molding instead of the, the resin uh, molding and metal boots, that uh, Dale boot, you know, the magnesium boot and those sort of things, uh, place so much emphasis on the appearance of the boot, the eye candy appeal. Then marketing got involved after a while and that um, changed the whole philosophy. They dictated what they wanted and it went away from the form follows function to the, the, uh, the form was all what it was about. Color of the, the shell. We had hundreds of color tests and it was like looking at a, uh, a color chart and trying to pick it <laughs> what kind of color you want for the the bathroom and the, the kitchen and everything else. It was crazy. So many details like that, that marketing thought that's all we need. We just need a good looking boot and just a few buckles. Because most people don't care and that type of thing. And I thought, oh, well, it's the time for me to leave and go my own way. And I had thoughts of going into other things and back to med school and, and so on. But, uh, or engineering, where I started. And uh, then I got that offer to uh, go to Mammoth, thanks to Dave McCoy. 
and set up a shop there to continue the development of ski orthotics, which was one huge missing link in a ski boot, plastic ski boot, because they're shaped inside like shoe boxes. There was nothing under the foot. And um, yeah, went from there. Continued consulting and so on. But the success we had at, at Nordica laid a lot of emphasis on the uh, inner boot, as it was called, not a liner. Never had any any use of the word liner. And uh, <clears throat> that was the secret, the medium between the shell and the liner. And that's why Nordica was so successful in the early to mid-70s, late-70s. There's a lot of emphasis on the quality of the liner. But again, once the marketing came in, they started cutting corners and said, oh, if Lang has got such a, a sock-like liner, then we can do it too. And <laughs> things started de depreciating quite quickly and, and uh, opened up a whole career worldwide for specialty boot fitters to solve the problems that are not solved at the factory level because so many people came in from different uh, industries thinking they know so much about everything and the ski boot relationship to the foot is the most complicated environment for the feet it not ha doesn't have to just be comfortable and avoid blisters but uh, it has to really perform get the message through to the ski. So the shell is like considered, uh, it's just like the transmission, energy transmission housing that you have on a car. It's static. Once it's closed, it's static as hell, but it has to contain this energy transmission system really well without exploding. <laughs> it sometimes happens. And uh, we used to happen when the power overpowered the, the construction or the engineering of it. But the foot is such an amazingly complex um, system, as Leonardo da Vinci wrote 500 years ago, that the foot is a masterpiece of engineering and a work of art. And once you start delving into helping that system work, that work of art, and masterpiece of engineering, figuring it out in a three-dimensional, almost four-dimensional sense. As an energy transmission system, it becomes extremely complex. And uh, it's been quite a puzzle since I left Nordica to continue that whole study and development of products that uh, work inside the ski boot with the foot so that the foot and the inner boot have leverage and maximum control over the shell. The shell is not an inhibiting thing that rattles you, your whole anatomy. And um, things have re seem to have improved a lot in the last uh, 15 years since Nordica was looking desperately to find a replacement for the Grand Prix model that had been on the FIS World Cup for 30 years and this was uh, Silvio Benetton who uh, owned Nordic at the time he encouraged that development and along came the Doberman about uh, six years later
took a while. Um, but by going back to the fundamentals of the leather boots that were so supportive and atomically pure athletic footwear, thinking of track shoes and things like that that are made specialty shoes that are made for all sorts of different events, uh, not like a, a Vans uh, skateboard boot shoe, <laughs> you know, with, with laces that just look like they work but they're, they're never used. It's not that simple by any means. You could try, imagine trying to ski and things like that today. But um, it became very complex, much more complex and difficult a problem to solve than I thought myself, even with that 70s experience prior to that. Me, specifically, the, the problem that became more complex to solve was... We're not yet talking specifically about the the inner boot or liner, mm -hmm. and I, but that the issue of transmission, trying to create a comfortable product, but one that still is high performance, and that allows the foot to drive a ski. That's what we're talking about. This is the complex problem. Exactly. So speak to again. I, I wanted to start at this general level with the assumption that there are listeners here thinking I've literally never thought about the liner i you know we all look at boots and they look sexy and now they have walk modes and we're sitting there debating whether to get a quote unquote 130 flex boot or a 120 we are we are thinking about everything other than the inner boot right so again i want this opportunity in your words talk about why that is a massive oversight for a consumer who's just wants to go have a good time skiing and find something that's going to work really well for them, right? What what am I failing to understand if I'm failing to think about or consider that inner boot at all? Well, you were talking earlier about uh, some really good, very good local skiers that grew up on skis, your test crew. And I think that so many very experienced skiers have literally given up on the ski boots. Just put up with whatever it is. If it hurts like hell, that's the price you pay for enjoying yourself. But painful boots are so distracting. Yeah. <laughs> As uh, Billy Crystal wrote recently in his book, I cannot be funny when my feet hurt. <laughs> <coughs> and every skier appreciates that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no matter who you talk to. And they don't think about, they think about punching the shell and making more room for the ankles, adding little bits of foam here and there and foam injecting and, and so on. Those are all old, old medieval solutions uh, to relieve the symptom. They're not uh, addressing the cause of the problem. And then, as you started alluding to already, is that uh, the ski boot has to satisfy a huge variety of feet shapes. But knowing that uh, biomechanically, feet are really, or the whole body, we're all the same, regardless of the shapes. And so much of the work that these specialty ski boot fitters are doing some remarkable things for people who cannot ski and they get them out there. That's the other end of the spectrum of people who just would love to be able to ski. You know, you look at 
seven foot basketball players with size 18 feet <laughs> you know and they the only thing they have are rental boots that are so soft and soggy that when they flex they might as well be in cross-country gear mm-hmm. uh, they can push their knee down to the ground so there are so many parameters that the, that have to minimize the uh, function of the foot within the demands of what you're trying to get through the energy through to the ski. So I think this, uh, the average skier doesn't, average, most skiers have never even given a thought to it. Said, oh yeah, you know, I had them foamed. I tried, tried this and I tried that and they've spent thousands of dollars in different boots and, and custom fitting this and that and they've tried Sometimes, again, thousands of dollars worth of orthotics and none of them work and, and so on. There has to be a system, and this is what has taken me so long, that is all over the counter. You can just put the boot on, following a, a fitting regimen, and go skiing right away. No waiting. And all of that thought, thinking came to me when I had my store in Mammoth beginning in 78 and I set up a high-performance ski boot demo program and everybody said are you going to go broke with that nobody's interested in skiing in their boots or trying boots out they all hurt (laughs) they had a chew there and they'd already forgotten in a matter of five years that we had solved those problems at Nordica before but there and there were a lot of things that needed to be improved and that's uh, where I started thinking about it, getting away from foam injection and building an inner boot that is functionally sound. You put it on, you think, God, I don't really need a ski boot. After you know, ski boot shell, outer boot, if we used to call it, because uh, there's so much support here. Do we really have to have a hard shell and stiff as a brick and all of this sort of thing? And the answer is no. You don't need it. If the inner boot is really supportive, it becomes like a very effective angle brace. So you don't need to buckle tight. You can use the buckles to keep the liner from falling out or pulling out of the shell while you're skiing. But it is also like the transmission housing. It's a very precisely made system to manage the the gears. And uh, if they're not in alignment, the clutch slips and all of this sort of thing. And, well, you get used to it. People think, well, that's the way ski boots are. That's, you know, put up with it. So you're sitting here developing this craft of the liner and literally devoting decades and decades to this. So I still want to give that clear picture of what I'm getting if I go buy a a, a good boot, right? A uh, a nice 120, 130 flex boot. I've gone to a good boot fitter. Mm-hmm. Um, why would I consider getting rid of that stock liner and looking at, say, a zip fit liner, mm-hmm. one of your liners? Well, it, it could boil down to the people who have the most experience with the liners uh, over the last 20 years. Uh, know that they don't even bother skiing in factory liners. They try them on sometimes. Sometimes they might even go ski in them, thinking, oh, they're not so bad. 
and they race back to their locker room and put their old zip fits into their, their new shells. So many of them don't even bother skiing in the, the factory liners because, as some have said in this past season, there's uh, the, the ski boot liners as such, quote liners, are worse than they've ever been. They break down much faster. They feel terrible when you put them on because they're used to a zip fit kind of fit and support, which is they've taken for granted. And um, each time they get a new shell and put their liners into it, they appreciate it again. At the, the recent 50-year anniversary of uh, the FIS races here in Aspen with the World Cup finals here has been fantastic but at some of the the festivities here have been in a room with all of the locals and all of the World Cup races that I used to work with in the 70s and some in the 80s and uh, I've been invaded I mean never left alone they all come rushing up and telling me how great the liners are the liners the inner boots and um it's been very flattering for me. I mean, just gosh, that's encouraging. I didn't realize it was such a broad support that it seems like maybe eighty percent of the people in the room are using Ziffit already. And um, now you go into a locker room here, and the room is filled with Ziffit boots or inner boots in the the outer boots. And I never realized that. And I know that ski races, World Cup races, are using Zipfit. I don't know who, but they do go to the, the shops because they get fed up with the, the factory liners. They have to sometimes use two or three liners within a, a season. And uh, or they've tried foam boots and they finally find a pair that works and then it breaks down, but they never find another pair. They might find one... One foot fits fine, the other foot is just full of problems. Mm. It's a very, very complex issue. Skis you don't have to worry about, it doesn't affect the foot. But boots, the communication medium, uh, the supportive medium and all of those things that a boot has to satisfy are again full of variables. How to make or accommodate all of those variables. Accommodate is not a good word because it suggests that if you have a, a pathology, you work around the pathology instead of trying to work with the, the anatomy of it and stabilize things. And suddenly all of those pressures and rubbing and chafing and banging into the shell and so on is, is gone. You used a line the other day, uh, and I, I'm... I want to remember it verbatim, but uh, as other liners break down, mm -hmm. zip fits break in. Yeah. And I, that seems to be what, from what you're just saying, that we see, and, and I think everybody who has been skiing for a while understands this experience. We talk about, oh yeah, uh, my boots are too big now. My liners have packed out, right? And now I have way too much room in the boot. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, I mean, you have talked about, and certainly many, many people have spoken to this who use zip fits. Zip fits don't seem to diminish in volume or pack out 
mm-hmm. over time. Um, and this is one of the things, right, that a zip fit liner, if we talk to a typical zip fit user or customer, how many days would you say that someone might expect to get out of a zip fit inner boot? Well, I've heard, depending on the individual, you know, some people get make things last forever because they care for them a little bit and uh, like tack on horse gear, saddles and things like that. But uh, I've heard some say, I've skied in mine 200 days and I need a new pair. And other people have been skiing in them. I've met actually in the ski areas where the Ziffits have been sold for a long time, uh, like Snowbird and so on. They um, have lasted 1,500 days. And then in their fourth pair of shells. So, talk to me about with a what a, what is it about the construction of a zip fit liner that would allow it to get that kind of durability over like so rather than seeing what feels like a pretty standard breakdown process of a stock of the stock liners that we commonly see. Um, what is it about? What is it go, that's going on in the construction of a zip fit liner that's different? That's a good question, and uh, it's all there to be seen by anybody, including other factories. But they don't look at the things that I look at. Working now, as we did in the early '70s, with cork flow, I found that there were serious limitations to that flow and accomplishing more. Uh, problem-solving qualities, and one was the foam padding. It took me a long time to find a way around it by reformulating cork, and I chose cork because cork is not compressible, especially not under a foot, and especially in an environment where you don't want any kind of pressure. It depends so much on anatomical shaping, not a fixed, catalyzed, or hardened um, foam, for example, which crystallizes after a while and it restricts the anatomy to move naturally within the ski boot. Um, slowly over, it's been now 20 years since I started working with that, this cork and per- slowly perfecting the granulated cork binder that allows the cork to move with a very specific viscosity and density. I've ended up with a, a, a shape with no foam padding where you need the support, like around the, the heels, ankles, shins, instep, all the bony parts that depend on being stabilized. Eliminating that foam and replacing it just with this special cork. It has a lot of different qualities so that as you use it, uh, that pre-packed amount will sort of pack in and develop a familiar shape that when you put your foot in every morning, you don't feel any hard spots or pressure spots at, at all. But while you're skiing, it warms up and starts moving with you. Like a, a running shoe, a tennis shoe, it doesn't block the foot's movements from sudden changes of direction or something like that in a tennis shoe. It has to work with the foot. 
and not be one static cast position. Who would be who would be the best candidate to consider a zip fit inner boot? Someone who's considering what one or two issues, what are the top one or two issues that a zip fit inner boot might solve for someone skiing? Well, most of the people have supportive issues, I think, and comfort issues and insulation issues. They think that, uh, oh, this plastic and that kind of uh, boot model is really cold. Well, that's because the thing doesn't have the minimal amount of uh, insulation. Can't keep water out, they get wet. The perspiration gets stuck down there in the bottom of the boot, around the toes where you have minimal circulation. And the moisture attracts the, the cold, sort of sucks it in almost. And you, you can't beat that if there's not enough insulation or you, and you don't have enough circulation down here. I, what I was trying to get at was if I'm just a normal skier and this, I'm listening to this guy who's making an aftermarket inner boot, if I wanted yeah. to hear you say, like, oh, yeah, we hear it all the time. A skier's like, I've just developed too much slop in the fit. Or, and you spoke a bit to, mm -hmm. uh, this boot is just too cold. Mm -hmm. um, some of those issues, or, or what you have found over the years, skiers have identified this tends to be the number one or number two problem. And we tend to be really successful in solving that problem for skiers. Mm -hmm. That's what I was trying to to get you to answer. Well, every skier has a different problem. And that becomes a, a massive problem to solve with just one solution. So the key is to have a solution inside, the pre-packed solution inside the boot that molds to, but can constantly is molding to the, the movements of the foot. Sounds like that's not going to work, but if you put your hand inside a zip fit liner now that's been used, it has all the anatomical shape and the support is really hard. But it still moves. Not too sudden uh, shocks and vibrations, it absorbs those. But if you grind slowly, you know, over a period of three or four seconds, it, it will displace accordingly. You know, like in two or three turns, it'll readapt to the way you're skiing at the time. That creates a comfort situation that has no objections, or delivers no objections to the skier. But as I was saying earlier, that there are so many criteria that the, the ski inner boot has to adapt to. Yeah. Yes. For example, uh, ski boots. We've learned that we have to adapt to the liner and the shell. The anatomy has to adapt. This is the other way around. The fitting system and that continues all through your skiing days. The fitting system adapts to you, the inner boot and your foot, and now together as a team that work with this stiff transmission housing that is truly static. Once it's buckled up and closed, it gets quite stiff. 
and they try to build boots that are not affected by temperature. Mm-hmm. But you'll find races and such that have different shells for different conditions. Yeah. Rather than have a, they want more support in spring conditions, for example, different kind of support. Yeah. We were seeing at the World Cup finals mm-hmm. uh, this past, well, just yesterday even, it's been so warm here in Aspen, mm-hmm. and we were seeing racers um, trying to bury their shells in snow to keep keep the shells cold, right? <laughs> to keep that stiffness in yeah. place, um, which kind of speaks to what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the companies make stiffer shells for those situations. Sometimes they're so stiff you can't get your foot in. But one of the other crucial criteria in boot fitting is not just to have a quick fitting, you know, you just heat the shell up, step into the inner boot, the inner boot into the shell, because when you step into it outside the shell, there's no resistance. Your heel goes deep into the heel pocket. So you step into the shell, buckle it up, and if you've got your pants on, go ski. Mm-hmm. That's what shops would like to do, get the fitting going immediately. And as they start to ski, that dynamic response that can only be generated while skiing continues to improve. Mm -hmm. Gets more comfortable, more supportive. The little owies and lumps and bumps that you felt at first are gone. Within the first run, I find, Mm -hmm. going out testing your new product and I've overdone my testing but the next thing that the shop needs is this pre-packed amount has a certain volume and if it is put into a shell that is a high volume for example or this with a very low volume foot or not even very but a low volume foot there's a need to have some uh, adjustment to it for example a foam injected boot has a specific volume shape and it'll never change and yes if it accepted it does pack out eventually gets looser and so on there's nothing you can do with it if if the injection has been botched you know it's very complicated and subject to human mistakes uh, operator error uh, you need to be able to adjust that fit or if you want to take the the inner boot out of one shell and put it into another, like from an alpine skiing boot, and um, into a telemark boot or an AT boot for climbing and back to country touring and so on. You can. You just drop it in, start using it there. It's already molded to your foot. It just needs to re-mold to, to that particular shell. That happens quite quickly. So the, the need is for being able to adjust the fit if it loosens up or if it doesn't match the volume of the shell within certain parameters, then uh, you can adjust it. And I've got this very quick, simple uh, injection process that began in the 70s, trying to use the original cork, which did not respond uh, <laughs> favorably to the pressure it needed to get it in to the inner boot. It sometimes works and sometimes doesn't, but as you compress the cork, well, it doesn't compress, but as it gets compressed into a smaller shape, 
right by the binder moving around basically it just stops and back pressures and you can't get it any further it won't go into the tubes it go into the boot so this is a very simple tube and plunger system that anybody can operate mm -hmm. and the shop can get that taken care of that's a very crucial feature because if a customer comes back with a complaint Oh, my ankle was rubbing against this, or my shin hurts, my instep hurts, my this, that, and the other. You don't take material out, you add more material. Very little. With, to sorry, be, to be clear on that, because I think that's important. With a zip fit, if someone's coming in and they're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm getting new pressure or pain at the instep or on the ankle bone, you're saying with the zip fit system, we're going to almost always add more cork to the system, mm -hmm. not start cutting out material on the liner to create yeah. more space. Exactly. Uh, the, the logic in that is that there is too much space between the prefill of the, the, the cork and the shell for that foot. So that happens. It's part of the anatomical variables. So we add more material because the cork disperses pressure. So if there's not enough cork there, you're up against the, the plastic or something eventually. So you add more cork, which pushes the foot away, creates a little bit of space, but it disperses everything very uniformly. Sort of like beach sand or something like that. You put your fist in or foot into the beach sand and it ameliorates everything about your anatomy instantly and uh, it's incredible it's like magic people come in sometimes thinking that they need another pair of liners and I said no, no let's inject some more so, well you know I'm tired of this liner I've had it for five years and 700 days or something and uh, I want a new pair so, no, no, let's see if we can fix that and the boot companies in Italy are, tell me all the time, the, the bosses, the, the principals of the boot companies that I know very well, said, son, you, you've got to stop making such a good inner boot. You've got to make them so they, people come back and buy new ones. And I said, well, if they don't last very long, they're not going to come back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like your liners break down and they don't go buy the same boot again. They might go to another brand. So, Well, that all kind of evens out, but at least we keep the flow of the the boots. So there are some companies now that, or ski shops, I should say, that have managed to buy shells only, and they take out the inner boots because <laughs> the ski companies or boot companies don't have the time to take out the liners and repack them. So they just send the the whole boots. Uh -huh. And the liners quite often go to the landfill. I keep trying to think of other things to do mm -hmm. with them, but um, yeah, it's quite common that the uh, liners just get taken out, like the, the pros and so on. They don't use them at all. It's a waste of time. Don't even waste a run. Yeah. Or wait for the, the liners to pack out before you do something about it. I wanted to ask you about this... Um you know, the, the fastest growing segment uh, in the ski industry is in alpine touring. And we're seeing this massive emphasis on uh, lighter skis, lighter bindings, mm -hmm. lighter boots. And this is becoming, um, 
you know, there, there is a there's a kind of weight war going on in ski boots where these companies really seem um, somewhat hell bent on just trying to win the specs game. You know, where hey, look, our 130 flex Alpine touring boot is now coming in under 1500 grams per boot. 50 now, grams lighter than the competition. Yes, exactly. And and now we're going to start moving to like, let's see if we can get it mm. under 1,300 grams and under 1,100 grams. And, you know, one of the things that we're seeing as we uh, are reviewing more and more of this new product is these inner boots or liners are getting lighter and flimsier. Um, and... And from your point of view, I want I want you to speak to that. I mean, if this is going to be, and it is going to continue to be an emerging trend, right? This, this at least I think for the next three to five to 10 years is a pattern we're going to continue to see. Speak to that person who is finding themselves uh, pretty captivated by how light these high performance touring boots are getting. But maybe what they aren't realizing is we're just getting we're taking we're getting that weight or re- reducing the weight saving that weight by going to less and less substantial liners so what kind of trade off what kind of performance trade off happens with that well there's nothing new about lightweight gear in the 70s we had lightweight boots and even lightweight skis like hexel and um, there was plenty of that going on and slowly as the emphasis became on the shell the boots got stiffer and stiffer and stiffer and now they're really difficult to get into sometimes hence the hot gear bag to try to soften the boots up a little bit before you put the boots on and so on Uh, there's two types of that i did a lot of ski mountaineering in the 60s in europe we had leather boots and we had some really lightweight gear that lasted fine. And we had boots that gave the support that we needed. They're starting to, you know, the original AT boots from 15, 20 years ago, uh, when I really started the boom, saw the boom booming in Europe, the people everywhere in AT boots, nice and comfortable, safe to walk on, big fat rubber soles and and lighter weight bindings a little clumsy but they've improved a lot recently there's two types you know the lightweight gear is nice but what do you sacrifice in downhill performance you climbing are you climbing up for the joy of skiing down or are you in a hurry to get to the top in a hurry to get back down with this scary ride that (laughs) typifies a really poor performing ski boot. Your connection and control of the ski is minimized. And some, they don't mind. Those guys that do the the, uh, Alp racing, the mountain racing. Yeah. What do they call it? Ski mountaineering or skimo. Skimo? Yeah. (laughs) First time I've heard that. But... uh, yeah, that's that's great. You know, this, they're incredible, incredible. athletes. Like yeah. the guy that ran from Zermatt to Sasfe. Have yeah. you seen that yeah. film? Yeah. My God, <laughs> what kind of woodwork did these kids come out of? Right. I wonder. 
but so that those people, I mean, you know, ski mountaineer racing, it's very clear we're trying to shave every last second off the clock, right, mm-hmm. in terms of time. But for the recreational skier, as most of us are, um, I, I, again, I guess that's what I want to speak to or, or think about mm-hmm. um, as these inner boots are getting less and less substantial so that we can keep our boot under 1500 grams or 1300 grams. Um, one of the things that I find myself thinking about is, you know, I, I'm, I want to get a reference liner mm-hmm. um, so that I can start removing that variable in ski testing mm-hmm. as we start and start looking at like, how are these shells performing? Um, what is the, you know, what is the, the stiffness of a given shell um, and, and start doing it with sort of a real liner, um, a better liner, um, because some of these that we're seeing are just so flimsy. And frankly, some of the companies that we're talking to are not that invested in the combination mm-hmm. of their shell with their inner boot. Mm-hmm. They seem pretty happy to say like, hey, get whatever liner you want you know, mm-hmm. with our shell. So here we are. I mean, this is, this is the, uh, this is the world we're living in. Well, the mentality is that, uh, you know, companies used to say with Alpine boots and they're saying the same thing with AT boots. Um, what's wrong with you? You know, we're selling more boots than anybody else. We've got to be doing something right. Well, the, the shells are improving. Definitely. And it's not so much about stiffness, but the range of motion that you need to be able to control. If you hit a bump in flat light out in the back country that you didn't see, and you fall on your face and break your nose, it's a long, long, long way home. And uh, it's just because the boot doesn't manage the range of motion that you need to stand up. When skis suddenly slow down or suddenly accelerate, and they see, see these, you know, kayak over on the buttermilk, this uh, famous uphill route for climbers and so on. And that is wonderful to see so many people doing alternative skiing such as that to get in shape. But most people, I think, that are interested in backcountry skiing are not particularly worried about having the latest $1,500 boot. They just want to have a nice little tour up and they want to ski down safely and really enjoy it. They're in no hurry. So they're not racing uphill to beat their friends or race their friends or whatever. Um, And and then, you know, the the upcoming uh, Cresta Butte to, to Aspen races, you know, the overnight race, is coming up and I go up sometimes and watch these guys coming down the hill and they're the best that there are at uh, that <laughs> uphill downhill racing they they ski really well but I think boy they would get down so much faster if they had more control yeah I'm not talking a few seconds but a lot of time yeah and uh, you know, what is that happy balance? And I've been working at doing a, a very lightweight, thermally moldable type liner, a 
but with the inner boot aspect of eliminating blisters and all of that stuff. When you when the, when you're hiking up mountains and the boot fits really well, weight doesn't seem to matter because your foot's not moving around. You're not getting blisters. You're not getting rubbed and, and irritated, which makes things feel really heavy because when you lift your heel, it hurts. Yep, every step. Before you even pick the ski up. Yep. <laughs> and um, those are the considerations that I have and we're getting closer and closer. We've had some really good successes, but with materials that don't last very long. Huh. And... Uh, Next time I go over, we're going to finalize that. Interesting. The company that I work with in Italy now for the last 15 years, um, small 12 um, employee uh, shoe of all type and boot of all type factory, they are making 30,000 pair of liners for Dinafit every year. And... uh, there you go, you know. We, we know where the, the supplies are and the best assembly people and, and so on. Hmm. Well, I look so f- that's on the horizon. I look forward to, to seeing that. Yeah. Um, I think there's a real opportunity there and um, a comfortable, high-performance liner that doesn't blister. Um, uh, yeah, you keep us posted on that. Yeah. Um, it protects your shins and your protects your shins yeah yeah back of the leg and all of that stuff that boy when that starts to hurt and you've got yep. 15 miles home you're just yeah oh god am i gonna make it yep we should get wrapping up but um for a kind of a final question i mean you have you have uh you've been around in the ski industry a long time and seen some stuff and i'm curious um you know a about the future, maybe this question can be specific to boot design, but perhaps beyond boot design, what do you sort of forecast as coming in skiing? Um, where are we headed? Um, whether it's in terms of resorts or whether it's in terms of uh, improvements in equipment, what are you seeing or thinking about or envisioning uh, this future is going to look like? Well, it hasn't been looking very promising, but as our original discussion started, there are so many really good skiers out there today that they weren't before, and their demand for absolutely the best equipment. They don't care what it costs. That's the gear that counts. And making them aware of how important, you know, they, they say, well, the ski boot's the most important thing to consider when you buy. Get the right model size and all that sort of thing. They go out and that's okay. But uh, that's, that's what it is, you know, is to help them realize it by considering, that in, as it is now, the, the replacement functional inner boot biomechanically sound and everything else that gives you all of those essential properties that make you feel at home in the boot. And uh, that, I think, is where uh, so many skiers need to realize. As you say, they just are not aware of what an inner boot can make. If you've got a problem with a ski boot, 
put in some other kind of liner and the environment changes immediately until that liner packs out and if it's a used one sometimes it works quite well for a while but you want something that's going to last you don't want to be up in the hill somewhere and especially in the back country and find yeah. yourself in trouble and yeah. come back and then take weeks to recover you know that's I've seen that happen and it's almost happened to me I get frostbite and all that kind of stuff it's terrible so overcoming those problems I think is a big help for the ski industry but as I learned in my shop in Mammoth so many people would say when I was making their orthotics and we didn't have all of these inner boot tools that we have now we've worked with what we had they said oh god this has completely changed my perspective or experience of skiing I have so many friends who quit because the pain was just not worth it and the statistics you know, the people running the industry refer so much to the statistics and they say that well nobody complains about the ski boots and I say it's because they're so pissed off that they don't bother mentioning it anymore they just accept it you know or they've quit suck it up yeah or they've quit yeah well they quit and I think uh, with the people that we've helped they're the ones that bring the our you know, their friends back to skiing or bring, recommend skiing because if you get the right boot, they can be very happy on skis. Not the shell, <laughs> but a, an inner boot that works in any ski boot. Yeah. And that's what I've accomplished and has not been a mean, an easy task. It's taken almost 50 years <laughs> since the first plastic boots when, God, they were painful. Oh, it was <laughs> like a wooden cast made of two by fours. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I think I've, you know, I've come a long, long way, and satisfying the the skiers. Uh, they're in tears sometimes. The, the first time they go out in their boots, they call up and say, oh, I'm so happy. I've never been so happy. I've had so many boots and skied for so many years, and I've never been happy in ski boots. They're the curse of skiing, <laughs> the enigma. Yep. Who can solve it? Huh. It's one of, I think as soon as we get over that hump of uh, more skiers appreciating the the significance of the proper liner construction and that people say well what's that well they go they are going to the pages and pages and on the website in fact I want to start adding small articles of uh, referring to these questions that you ask that other skiers ask also yeah. you're on the right track because you're looking for the answers that skiers are looking for. They've yeah. got the questions but don't know the answers. Yeah. Well, sir, this has been a pleasure. And, and mine uh, too. Yeah, this has been a great couple of days and uh, I've really enjoyed the conversations. And um, we should say that um, people who are wanting to learn more uh, about ZipFit, um, well, one, we do have... 
some reviews on the site. Um, I'm going to be, actually, I'm going to go now, uh, right now, um, go ski highlands uh, in a in a pair of ZipFit Garas. And I myself have, have not skied in one. So I, I don't know what I'm going to find or experience, right? My, my job is to just report. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious to, to, curious to do that and, uh, see, um, see how this works out, see how, uh, significant or subtle some of these differences, uh, appear to be. And, um, I will, I will certainly be reporting back. Well, I look forward to your report. Yeah. Um, but for now we should say too, for, for, um, so you can check the site, Marshall Olson, um, several years ago did a uh, big roundup um, on on zip fits. And so people can read that. And on the show notes to this podcast, we'll put a link to to Marshall's uh, uh, write-up. We'll also put a link if people want to find you, um, they can go to zipfit.com. And there's a ton of information uh, on the site there, uh, including, and this is something that you should all do, there's a good history of Sven's, sort of Sven's bio, um, his own background and his uh, background in the ski industry. Uh, we have not gone into too much of it here because we could talk about it forever, uh, just about, but it is an extraordinary history um, and, and you should take a look. So we'll also put a link in the show notes of the podcast to, uh, to your bio, but um, uh, appreciate the work that you have done. Uh, for, for many decades <clears throat> on this and um, and I'm excited I'm per- personally I'm super excited to see uh, the development of this of this touring liner uh, that you're working on I think that's going to be quite interesting mm-hmm. um, yeah, so yeah thanks for all of the time and um, uh, we will be in touch I'd love to do it again sometime and now I'm going to go ski some zip fits in the meantime, I'll be looking for that five-word answer to your question. <laughs> yes, that's your assignment. Yeah, the one, the one sentence. But um, thank you, sir. I appreciate the time. Oh, thank you, John. All right. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Many thanks to Sven for the conversation. You should go to zipfit.com to learn more about Sven, Zipfit liners, and where you can get yours. And thanks to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, who was kind enough to give me a squad's welcome back to town and to then work on this podcast. Till next time, head over to blisterreview.com to see what we're up to there, and we will catch you next week on the Blister Podcast.